welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder Phoenix Suns game. Well, I kind of checked all the boxes, and then I'm also going to be talking about Gabrielle Deck a little bit more extensively than I have in the last couple of ones. But just teeing this game off, I mean, coming off a 57-point loss, this was historic by all volumes. Pacers dropped their career high or franchise high in points. Thunder lost in franchise setting fashion. Couldn't imagine anybody probably even wanted to play tonight. So just a demoralized team. And you were heading into, you know, the peak playing the Suns, who were the second best team in the league heading into this one, just a half game away from being tied for first in the league nonetheless. But they were riding a pretty big win streak already. And for the Thunder... I mean, they just didn't seem to have really any single area where you would think, you know, they might actually win the game, right? So they go into this one, and they actually got Lou Dort and Alexei Pokashevsky back. Lou Dort, he was gone in what you could chalk up as rest. That's not what the Thunder would want to go for on that one. But Poku, he entered the game with a hip injury. So he got to start. Same with Dort. You came in with a little bit more force. To this one and you had kind of what you've seen as per usual in the starting rotation with Maladone, Dort, Poku, Bays, and Poku rounding out the starting five and they started the game out pretty well. I mean they got on a quick nine to four opening stretch and it got capped with a 26 foot jumper from Lou Dort and he kept going with it. That was the beginning. That was the first three points of what would be a run where he would take eight of the team's 11 points and he almost single-handedly kept them up 19 to 13 through that little stretch there as the Phoenix Suns started kind of pushing back at them but in the midst of that you saw the Thunder go eight of 11 from the floor they shot just one of 11 to start out Saturday's game so that's how you know they were on track to do a lot better than before and they seem good, but Devin Booker also seemed very, very good. He had six straight points for the Phoenix Suns, got the game knotted up at 19 apiece in literally a minute from the time they were up six points. And then you just had teams exchanging the lead back and forth. And surprisingly, it was the Oklahoma City Thunder who had the last laugh. So they got up through the first 12, 33 to 27. And really for the Suns, they just had Devin Booker running everything for him he had 12 first quarter points and he shot 5 of 10 so he was just given the green light to shoot anything he wanted and then for the thunder they didn't really have a primary guy they had eight of the 10 people who played in the first score a basket so point distribution was all over the place and i think that's really what led them to be up because you couldn't really hone in on anybody like the thunder was able to do with the Phoenix Suns and because of it they just were able to splice up the Suns defense they shot 56% in the first quarter and they went five of nine from downtown that's just 56% from there and they look to have just put in Saturday's misfortunes right in the past who would have thought that you know you get skunked and then you'd be up six points through one against debatably the best team in the NBA right now so they were very good, and then as the second quarter started, it kind of just evaporated. Suns, 
they got on a pretty big streak. They hit four consecutive threes to open the quarter. 12-0 run, expanded, I think, to a 16-1 run as time progressed. But that was the main part. So you had four consecutive triples. Mark Dagnall was forced to call a timeout because they went from being six up to six down in a matter of about two minutes. And the Thunder had to roll back out there and, you know, really hope for the best. And Phoenix's lead really just stood untouched until about the seven-minute mark, so five minutes into the quarter, when Oklahoma City got a run of their own. 13-1 was the response they drummed up, and it featured a really nice pairing of plays. A 32-foot jumper from Ty Jerome, where I think it was Dario Saric was almost giving the shot to him, like not expecting Jerome to pull it. As we've seen, of course, he's going to shoot it if he's wide open. So he popped it, nothing but net play. And then you had Gabrielle Deck slice right through the middle of the lane and pull off a post move that got him an and one. So ultimately, that little run got them back into the driver's seat of the game. But the Phoenix Suns, they were able to kind of get the last little push in the second quarter. And they got it through a 22-10 to ending spurt. Got them up 7. They were up 64-57 to by halftime. And this was just a seesaw battle here. I mean, runs where you saw double digits going in one team's favor. And then that would get combated with another run of the exact same. It was all about who had the final one. And with the Suns kind of blazing out at the very end. They were able to get that lead, and that seven-point lead was the highest they had in the entire first half, and for the Thunder, their largest lead was at eight, so nobody really took anything away. As I mentioned, it was just kind of passing of the torch over and over again until you heard that final horn to conclude that second quarter, but it was pretty evenly decked out in terms of shooting percentages. The Thunder shot 47%, the Sun shot 57%. And then from downtown, the Thunder shot 7 of 15, and the Phoenix Suns shot 8 of 15. So that's 47% and 53%. It was still all Devin Booker for the Suns, really. He had 16 points at halftime. And then behind him, they had kind of a surprising second man in Torrey Craig. They picked him up at the deadline for pretty much just potato chips. And he had 13 points at halftime, going 6 of 7 from the floor. And Oklahoma City... They didn't have a primary kind of combo of two people to, you know, pivot a big lead. But they did have a trio of sophomores who really helped out. You had Bays and Dort, who both had 10 points at halftime. And behind him, doesn't seem like a sophomore, but he is. Ty Jerome, he had eight points of his own. So you walked into the third quarter thinking there was still a pretty solid chance And by all accounts, there still was. But there was a little bit of a slight hiccup as you walked into that third quarter because Alexei Pokashevsky got ruled out for the game. And this is not the first time we've seen this where Poku has been taken out um, by halftime. I think it was not too long ago, maybe a week or two, where he had an illness and it wasn't COVID, but it was some sort of illness. And he got to play about five minutes and then he got taken out. It might have been the Philly game. But it was one of those. And then there's just been other games where I think his shoulder was jacked up. He got pulled out and we didn't see him for like three games. So hopefully it's not that bad. But 
with that little hip strain of his, or I, it was a knee contusion, my bad. Hopefully that doesn't flare back up and continue past, uh, you know, tomorrow. So he'll be able to play uh, in the next game. But yeah, he got taken out. And because of it, Mark Dagnall had to put Kenrich Williams in to that starting lineup. It didn't seem like it'd be that big of a deal on the surface. Kenrich Williams has gone in and out of that starting lineup and played perfectly fine all throughout the year. But the Suns, they were able to kind of put their nail into the uh into the wood because they got really hot to start out the third quarter and they got a quick 10 point lead to begin things and after a series of energizer plays from the thunder that kind of got evaporated it was down to a four point phoenix suns lead and it was through just a pretty wild stretch here this is the one that i really wanted to underline but there are many more in this but moses brown was about to get posterized by Mikel Bridges. He was slashing in through the left side. I think he started at the left wing. And he had violent intentions on his mind. Moses Brown was really right under the rim. And he didn't have a running start. So in terms of posterizer plays. This was a golden platter for Bridges. He should have been able to throw it down. But Moses Brown elevated and met him right at the rim. Was able to rip out the two-handed jam. And then right on the other end. You ended up seeing just a light layup going in on the other side. So that happened. And then just a couple more of those, as I mentioned, ticked it down to a four-point Phoenix Suns lead. But then they got back on track because Booker, Chris Paul, and their surprise guy and Torrey Craig got 11 points through those three. And the Thunder only had five in that span. So they got back up to double digits. And they really just didn't turn back. And in the closing minutes... The Suns, they had a lead as high as 17 points. Dropped down a little bit. It was down to 11. But there was a play literally down to the wire. I'm talking the buzzer sounded. There was a no call. But they had to go to the scores table to figure this out. But Dario Saric went up for a layup to end the third. And Isaiah Roby fouled him. And at first, like I said, they didn't call it, but they checked the review monitor. With 0.2 seconds remaining, Sarge got hacked. So he got to the line and sunk both free throws. They were up 98 to 85 leading into that fourth quarter. But the real kind of footnote to this one is Devin Booker got really, really hot. And he almost had more points than he did in the first half, just in that third quarter alone. Had 14 points and... At the time, I mean, he had 30 points in the game. So he was kind of looking to get up to 40 at least, maybe even higher due to what we've seen, you know, Booker do in the past in terms of the high scoring outputs. But that wasn't in the forefront there. Clearly, they wanted to take the win. And through the first 10 minutes of the fourth, that that was what was going to happen. I mean, they didn't cough up their double digit lead. They were up double digits even into that two minute warning. But the Thunder were still kind of knocking at the door the entire time. They didn't let it get above, I think, a 20-point lead. I think 18 might have been the highest. It could have been even lower, but they weren't letting the Suns run away with it. So they were still in striking distance. And then they got on a pretty just silent run to tap into single digits. Isaiah Roby got a nice dunk with about a minute 40 seconds to go. And, you know, it seemed like it's just a typical kind of single-digit a uh, game where you get one shot to go and you push him back out. But that's not what happened. The Phoenix Suns, 
they just continue to kind of struggle here. And Isaiah Roby put down another dunk on the next play, but DeAndre Ayton fouled him. So he got an and one off this little flush and he hit the free throw. So it was a five point game. And now it was anybody's kind of moment there. It wasn't a Phoenix Suns win automatically. That's what it seemed like originally, but no. I mean, the Thunder had all the momentum leading into the final minute to go. And all the Suns needed to do to kind of just get rid of that was make a shot. But they were not able to do it on that next possession because Devin Booker skied up for a mid-range shot. He got a foul call, but it was an offensive foul, a push off from him. In television time, it seemed like Booker would have got to the line because the fouls we saw go in their favor were ridiculous. That just would have been another one you put on there, but they gave it the other way. So Booker not getting the call was furious and he was getting mad at the officials. It got a tech thrown his way. So Teo Maladon got to go to the three or not the three. He got to go to the free throw line and he sunk his free throw. So it was a four point game. Now you're talking technically a one possession game, but you probably need to score two consecutives, but they were right there. And given it was an offensive foul, they had the ball. The Thunder had the ball with an attempt to get it to one possession. And they gave it right back to the hot hand in Isaiah Roby. He shot a 24-foot three. No good, though. So the Phoenix Suns, they got back down on the other end, looking to kind of trim down the uh, the timer. And they had it in Chris Ball's hands. That's a guy who we've known is very smart with the ball. But he got forced into a travel so it got right back to the Thunder, and you had a really nice play here. Lou Dort was at the top of the key and gave a little bit of a pump fake, and he got his man airborne. And just like Chris Paul used to do every single time he had the opportunity, especially in the playoffs, you just bump into him, flail your arms around, and you're going to the line for three tries. So he did it. It worked out in his favor, and he was getting ready to go up for three and get the lead down to one point. I think there was like 16 seconds left, so get a foul, and you have a chance to tie or even take the lead depending on what happens through that other end. But before he could get up there and take his shots, Monty Williams used his timeout, was able to get a challenge on the floor, and the call got overturned. So very pivotal play, and you saw just a jump ball at center court between DeAndre Ayton and I think Isaiah Roby. And DeAndre Ayton, you've seen the man. Pretty big dude. Roby, you know, he's big, but he's only six foot nine, maybe even six foot eight if you want to tick him down. But yeah, he's not very tall. So Aiton was able to back tap it and it got into the hands of Devin Booker. And he got trapped up in the backcourt to the point where he clearly committed at least two violations here. He got pinned and he was trapped. Actually, yeah, it was like the right, right, um, right sideline, but he fell on his knees. Seemed like he had some, um, I don't even know what you call them, like wheelies on the, uh, like what, whatever you put on the bottom of your shoes, heelys, that's what it is. Had him on his knees or whatever because he was just skating around there. And then, I mean, he even touched the out-of-bounds line. He touched that sideline. Clearly, you know, Mark Dagnall was furious about it. The bench was furious. Even the people on the floor were furious about it. But no call was given. Devin Booker was able to throw the ball out, probably because the Thunder guys, they were just shocked there wasn't a call, but he was able to slice it between his defenders, get it down to Mikhail Bridges, 
And, I mean, no one was really back. They had all the focus honed in on Booker. And instead of going for a shot, Bridges, he wanted to play a bit of keep away. So he just dribbled, got hacked, and he took 10 seconds off the clock. So there were six seconds remaining when this call happened. And it shouldn't have even happened in the first place. Thunder should have seen the basketball with four points. You know, maybe even just taking the three free throws and you go from there. But they were able to, you know, get in a really good spot. And then it just gets stomped on because the refs missed probably the biggest call the entire night. So Bridges got up to the line, hit one, hit the next. That's a six-point game with six seconds to go. Teo Maladon went up with a right-wing triple. He hit it to get it down to three, but there was 0.1 seconds remaining. And as we all know, that's not enough to do anything. So the game was over. Just had to throw the ball in and... That was that. Suns took the W narrowly. 123 to 120 was your final score. And with that, the Thunder, I mean, they are now just looking right at that fifth seed. That's where they're looking in the, the lottery standings. They have it now because they're 21 and 44. But with the Cleveland Cavaliers playing tomorrow, that can change because they are 21 and 43. So a loss there ties them right back up. And then you're still stuck, you know, with no real uh and near on who's gonna get a win first and kind of break themselves off of this tie and then behind them or i guess ahead of them you have the orlando magic magic are just a half a game ahead of the thunder right now so it's definitely a possibility that they can surpass them the minnesota timberwolves are just a game above the thunder and then the detroit pistons are just a game and a half above the thunder and the crazy part about all this is the pistons minnesota timberwolves and the magic they all play each other. So you're going to see games where tanking is going to be off the charts. Adam Silver probably isn't going to even blink an eye at it based on what we've seen this year. But there's going to be tanking. I mean, you're going to see no one's playing like 40 minutes a game because you just need to do that. So watch out for that. But I mean, we don't play any of them. Our hardest matchups, the Kings, play them three more times. We haven't even played them this year. But I mean, with them, that's a guarantee that someone's going to move. And if we lose all our games, we're going to pass probably one of them. Actually, yeah, you can almost guarantee you either pass one, you tie one, or you get the best of both worlds. And some of you sneak past maybe two of them. But there's options there. Clearly, you need to lose your games first before you talk about that. But that's something you need to kind of think about as we uh, get past these next seven games and final seven games of the regular season. But talking about the Suns. I mean, with the win, they're back to being the number one team in the league. They are tied with the Utah Jazz with a 46-18 and record. They're trying to make it, and they're trying to make it as the champions this year. So this wasn't a game that they should be proud of. Let's just be honest. This was a really bad closeout for them that, you know, um, as a playoff contender, you just can't let teams come back when you're up double digits and comfortably have the lead. So that's something we've seen, like, whenever the Thunder... We're trying to contend, especially with Paul George and Westbrook, even Melo. They couldn't hold the lead, a double-digit lead for for anything. And we even saw it last year at times. Definitely not as much. We were playing from behind. But, yeah, you saw it a lot. And it looks like the Suns had one of those slip-ups. They still got the W, but that's kind of a cautionary flag they need to be talking about with them. But they got the win, so that's really all that matters. With them, I mean the Suns. They definitely got um, they got lucky by the end of this game. I think overall, though, 
they were pretty good shooting from the floor. They ended up out um, out shooting the Thunder 53% to 49% in the game, and then they went 39% from three. Thunder went a bit better at 42%, but they were still pretty well-rounded overall. I will say, though, I mean, if you talk about the pivotal plays, they got just a ton of love from the referees. And that final play where the Thunder got pretty much just screwed off that Devin Booker foul, Mark Dagnall said he clearly saw it, everyone saw it, and he had a pretty nice uh, quote from this after the game. So he said he definitely stepped out. I mean, I blitzed those guys, meaning the refs. I wouldn't have done it if he didn't step out. It was a tough play for them because they came out of a jump ball. I don't think anybody had eyes on it, obviously, but that was a tough one. I was pissed. And then he went on to say kind of why, because the players just really fought back in the game. But yeah, I mean, he deservingly so must have been pretty fed up with it because that was a game that they could have won, you know, and we've seen games where they've come back and stolen the game. This was a prime example. You know, you're talking six, no, not at the time, probably like 12 seconds remaining or, or 10 seconds when Booker got pinched down there. But if you're going to do that, I mean, the Thunder, they got on, I think, an ending of uh, like a 16 to 1 run. It was either 16 to 1 or 13 to 1 about in the back end there. But they were on a major run where they were just flying buckets in in 10 seconds, and they could have done it in way less. They could have got a catch and shoot shot in and then fouled right after if it missed or, or went in. Same thing. And they would have shot. So it just killed the chances there. So he definitely deserves to be really, really upset about it. And uh, even with that, he still said that, you know, he, he kind of is pretty proud of his guys. So he said, tonight was just a zero and zero challenge. Nothing that I could have said after the game yesterday or today when we walked in could have made anybody feel any worse after that one. So it was really just about trying to reset the group. It took tremendous maturity out of a lot of really young players to really taste our own blood last night. And then come out and compete on a back-to-back after a game like last night against one of the best teams in the league. It was impressive. So, I mean, as he talked about, it seems like he probably didn't have much of a speech anyways. Just go back in on the next game and try to focus on it. This little 0-0 zero and zero mindset, we've heard it about 10 different times this year. And it's clearly showing results because we've seen a lot of blowouts, but... This was a game where if you're going to, you know, tell your players that they're not doing well, I mean, obviously not doing well. That's like, that's a pat on the back. If he's like going in there shouting at his guys, doing what we've seen him do on the floor where he's like almost cussing out people, screaming in their face, you wouldn't have seen a game even close to this. You would have seen a game where they lost by 40 again, and they would have headed into their next game probably even more mad about what's been going on and just crushed. So probably a good play by him and it showed results that you definitely wanted to see let's check both the boxes in terms of OKC lost this game and they didn't get blown out of the water to the point that Adam Silver would have to hand down a fine I don't know how he didn't do it yesterday um I guess Saturday because it'd be two days ago but yeah I mean you definitely can't do it off of this one because we played everybody and we were a possession away from taking this game so good on uh good on the Thunder for really bouncing back I didn't expect this I thought it would be a blowout to be quite honest with you but it just kind of shows you how um how gritty this team has been all year and how you know they're not gonna let one game kind of phase them they were on that 13 game losing streak or, or actually 14 
and then they got that Celtics win, get that crushing loss against the Pacers, and now you almost won another game. So it seems like, you know, they definitely have their up and downs, but they haven't had that moment where the whole locker room is just devastated. And I think it's due to them being all so young. They know that there's going to be times that kind of are not that good. I bet Dagnall's probably stressed that with them, that not every moment's going to be good. There's highs and lows to every season. And with the Thunder this year, I mean, they're so young, a lot of it's going to be lows. But you take those highs and you kind of just use those as a glistening light to maybe even you know overtake the low points. And I think that's what's been going on this year because it seems like everybody is really just bought into this system. So I'm really glad to see that. And you know, even even with the loss, like I said, they're they're still pretty high spirited. But just talking about the Suns with how they did overall, I think that three was a main point of attack with them hitting 12 of them. Nick Gallo mentioned, not just on Twitter, but also in the the post-game presser, but the Suns only had five shots in the first half coming uh, from below the basket, and you don't really see that a lot. The Phoenix Suns, they're more of a perimeter-centric team anyway, so that'd be the team to do it. But like with the Thunder, all their shots have kind of been coming around the basket. If they only have five shots around the rim, it means they're just shutting it off. So they wanted to just let them shoot from three, Obviously, it hurt them, but you know, by halftime, it was still a pretty close game anyways. So they were just down seven points, and they were able to keep their way through. So obviously, it was a good decision um, by the end of it, but just kind of one of those plays that maybe not by design it happened, but it worked out in the end, and I think it was a pretty smart play by them, but just kind of shows how the defense was showing up, and then in the later portions of the game, they um they were able to shut them down with you know the the last like four minutes where they they got back in but yeah I mean they were good Phoenix though with those threes they're just flying in a little bit too much and I think the the most important part here was the free throw line because the Thunder they just kept getting foul calls over and over again they got in the bonus pretty much in the snap of a finger in some of these quarters to the point they got 27 free throws hit 21 of them and on the flip side the Oklahoma City Thunder, they just were not able to get up there as many times. They got there at 24, but they only hit 17. So pretty big kind of point where the Suns were able to to get their uh, their lead. And obviously the win, because you know if they missed four extra free throws, this is a different end result here. So very big on them. And a lot of those controversial calls, as I said, from start to finish, just went their way. And there's not a lot of games where I think the refs especially in our ones where the the margins are not really single digits it's not a lot of games where the refs kind of determine stuff um for for our franchise but this was definitely one of those where i think if the refs were getting every single call right the thunder would have won the game and that's just how it is you don't really want to complain about it though because you get the loss you move on you don't want to win games right now because a win here would pretty much put you in that six spot uh, almost for sure, unless there was some sort of uh, situation where the Cavs win or or someone else just goes on a weird win streak. But yeah, it would not be good. So it's probably a good thing that didn't happen, worked in our favor, but just a little bit of a head scratcher to where the league is probably going to look at this one and say, yeah, we really messed up here. But you know, I, I think even with that, the star power was pretty big for them. Devin Booker, he didn't have just the gigantic fourth quarter, I imagined. He only had two points. But overall, that was still 32 points on the game. He shot 11 of 22 to get there. 
And then he went 9 of 10 from the foul line. So he was the main guy just flailing his arms around, getting the whistle blown every single time with him. And Chris Paul behind him, that's kind of the master of just baiting foul calls. But uh, he only got there two times. So he was playing pretty much straight to the fundamentals, going in for the mid-ranges and then looking to pass. But he got 18 points and 11 assists on the game. And right behind him, you had Torrey Craig, who got 18 points as well. And he went 8 of 10 overall to get there. Also had 10 rebounds to clinch that double-double performance. Behind that, Mikael Bridges was solid. He had 17 points on 6 of 12 shooting. And Cameron Johnson off the bench got 12 points going 5 of 10. Pretty funny because Johnson, I remember when the Chris Paul sweepstakes was kind of coming to a close and we got to you know, the destination kind of. Cameron Johnson was the deal breaker. At least that's what the media was reporting. We settled on Ty Jerome. Clearly that was a good investment for us because Cameron Johnson, he wouldn't have even fit right now. Like Poku and Baze would have the job over him. And I think Johnson is either 24 years old or 25 right now. So technically he'd fit that window, but it's not like he's, you know, extremely, extremely young here. He is, what now, 25 years old. Yeah, he's 25 years old. So I don't think he would have fit really in that timeline. Still would be kind of in the area, but he would be one of the older guys on the roster. And I think with that, you probably need to be, you know, having like four or five years under your belt. And I think he's just a sophomore. So we're good with Ty Jerome, but I just want to kind of mention that with Cameron Johnson. So there was him doing his little gig and there was no other people kind of getting in double digits good efforts here from guys like Kaminsky though I mean he had 7.6 rebounds Sarich had eight points and five rebounds off the bench but they really didn't have to depend much on on their second unit anyways they only had a nine-man rotation so they were all right but this was not really a a scary team to be honest this is not a team that you show me and I'm like oh they're gonna be championship contenders now obviously they're not at their current status without slaying the goliaths or what was supposed to be the goliaths entering the year they've had a lot of impressive wins but this just was not a good performance from them and i think against any playoff team they would have just got battered by like 10 points but it is what it is they take that w and um they're gonna be good sailing off to the next one but for the thunder they're gonna be good sailing off to the next one too and even though they didn't win, it was still kind of a win anyways, because you bounce back and you narrowly lose. But anyways, with them, it was still this even coat of scoring. I talked about in the first, eight of 10 guys had 10 points or scored, my bad. In this one, seven guys had 10 points in the game. And it started with Darius Baisley. He had 19 points on eight of 13 shooting, had nine rebounds. And in the fourth quarter, he went up against the Celtics for 13. This one, he just had seven points, but he tied for the most points we saw from a single guy in that quarter. So major stuff from him. And then right behind him was Teo Maladon. And he set a record. This has been a record that has been just flashed all over Valley Sports for about a month. And it's been the most three-pointers made by a rookie in Thunder history. And the record was set in 2017 by Alex Abrines. He hit 94 triples 
and it just hasn't been touched. James Harden was second best. He had 93, but no one else was close. I think the the third place guy with Sabonis is about 51. So Maladone had just been climbing up the ladder and he just got caught up. Whenever he hit 90 about a week ago, he, he stagnated. And entering the game, he was one away from tying, two away from taking it. So in the first, he tied it with the triple. And then he was just cold and he didn't hit a three. And then to close things out in the fourth quarter, he sunk a three. So he got the record hitting his 95th. But then that final just buzzer beater damn near, he topped it off. So he's got a two point advantage at 96 and he's got seven games to go. You already know he's going to be one of the stars of the show here. So it's going to be a much more than just two. He's definitely going to hit 100 by the end of the year. So he's on the up and up. And he used those three triples to just really light up his game overall. So he had 18 points. And he used those threes to kind of work on the interior. And especially draw those fouls. So he got to the line five times. Hit all five of them. And he even had four assists to add on to that. Both Ty Jerome and Kendrick Williams came off the bench and they got 15 points. I think this isn't the first time we've seen two guys off the bench get 15. I think Roby and Jerome did it a couple games ago. Jerome's back on that list, but you throw Williams in instead of Isaiah Roby and you're still good. So Ty Jerome, he shot 5 of 10 on the game. Williams shot 6 of 11 from the game but a little bit different on how they were scoring so Ty Jerome he's just been the marksman from downtown he ended up hitting three triples and two of those came from 30 plus I think they were both 32 footers but his range is crazy I saw a tweet from I think Brandon Rabar but he mentioned like you know maybe Ty Jerome should just be involved in the Thunder's young core that should be a name that you immediately sound off I'm not on, entirely on that yet because we have to see what happens in the lottery and if we get point guards because I think if that happens, he might be the guy who gets that short end of the stick because as I talked about, I think two days ago, three days ago, it'd be a battle much more than Svi or Ty Jerome. It'd be Kendrick Williams. It'd be Teo Maladon even. It'd be a lot of guys. It'd be very cutthroat. So I don't even know how that work. And even Dort would be in that conversation if we got a guy like Jonathan Kuminga or even Evan Mobley or something like that, and we needed to put someone on that bench. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of a a real question there, but he's making a good statement as to why we should kind of keep him around. So with those threes, he was really great. And then he also had a team high of five assists working down low. So he's very smart at just picking apart defenses. And Kenridge Williams, he's really good at playing defense. And he was the guy who really was the main character and how the defense locked everybody up to to get the play so he was the one getting the traps to force the Chris Paul travel get Devin Booker to slide out of bounds and get that no call which should have been called but he was the guy who kind of rooted that and even on offense he was great in terms of shooting but really I think the defense was his main calling card in the game and he did it extremely well Beyond that, Isaiah Roby even got double digits, and so did Lou Dort, actually. Roby had 11 points. Lou Dort had 10. Dort did not score in the second half at all. He shot not great. He shot 4 of 19. But Roby, he was all right. He went 3 of 6, and he hit all five 
of his free throws. Most of those came in clutch time too. But the man I wanted to talk about was Gabrielle Deck. In this game, he ended up getting double digits for the first time in his career. Third game with the Thunder, got to 11 points. Also had six rebounds, and he even had three assists in the game. And this was something that was kind of speculated and even assumed. But with Deck coming over, you know, originally he was born in Argentina, and then he played in Spain. He hasn't really been, you know, in any English speaking areas, and he hasn't really had to kind of become part of that where he's like speaking English all the time. So there's a bit of a language barrier there. And that was the assumption because he did have um, a translator in his original like practice interview. But um, yeah, I mean, as Ty Jerome said post game, he doesn't really speak English at all. But the thing with that is there's still a universal language that connects every single basketball player. And it's just the language of basketball. So he fit perfectly in this game. You wouldn't have even known that he probably had no clue what people were directing him towards during the game. But yeah, I mean, he was kind of just waving around his arms, directing people where to go, even calling ISOs. And you even saw guys like Isaiah Roby um, kind of, you know, direct him with his hand on where to go. And he'd go in the corner, even without directions, he knew how to space the ball or space the floor perfectly. And because of it, you saw very good results. As I said, couldn't even tell that there was any sort of language issues there. He was probably one of the, the guys that glued in with everybody the best. So that was kind of just a major mark with him. This has been clearly a good pickup by the Thunder. And the moves that he was showing off is going to be more than what you're getting for $3.87 million. So he had a spin layup that went in. He also had just post moves where he was going in for layups, had a post move and one. And then the most impressive one for me, he was driving in from the right side and he got caught up. You know, he's not a very fast guy, so it's not like he's getting that last kind of burst of acceleration and dunking. His dunks are kind of just breakaway, one-handers, two-handers, nothing too crazy. So he doesn't have that burst to just kind of blow by somebody as he's going up for the layup. I guess Diallo would be like a prime example. Like he'll have maybe like a a one-for-one step, and then it'll just elevate, and he'll midair just squeeze by a defender. Deck can't do that. So he went up, and his vertical just kind of flop back down on him he couldn't get the elevation necessary so instead of just hoisting a like a floater or whatever and getting rejected he just went like sideways he he went sideways and he extended his right arm out just as far as you could get it and i'm not talking upwards i'm talking to the side so he sidearms this underhands the layup and he gets it to go in i don't think i've seen that all year i don't know if anyone's really done that i haven't seen it but that was a remarkable play and just tells you the amount of scouting that goes into these guys like the thunder have been scouting this guy for years you finally get him in on the program and he looks amazing so he was great and even on defense he was playing kaminsky and sarich for most of the time so he's playing at the four and even guarding the five depending on you know kind of vice versa on who you had it five and um, four with Kaminsky and Saric because they were both playing together but he was doing fine there too 
and just working around the rim. We've seen him throw behind the back passes all the time. Didn't see it a ton in this one. Actually, didn't see it at all. But he saw some no-look passes as he drove in for the lane and for some buckets. So he was really great. And I think we're going to kind of see what goes on with him. With seven more games, he's definitely going to be one of the main people. And that's going to be evident based on what we've seen from him. He hasn't had a bad game yet. And I'd say the last one where he had eight points was maybe his worst. I mean, he went four of 12, but he had 10 boards. He was still one of the better guys. So he keeps just ranking upon the top of the list. And I'm very excited to see him. And, you know, Ty Jerome is too. I mean, he said that his ability to come in, fit in very well, be aggressive, not force it, take good shots, have all been impressive. If you watched him play, you'd think he'd been with us all year that's how it's been he's fit like a glove with the franchise and you just can't wait to see him play even even more so that was kind of just my breakdown on him definitely not the most extensive like I know sometimes when I do these breakdowns it's like 20 minutes of here's exactly where he shoots this is the clip he shoots it at this is his tendencies kind of just kept it to you know this is what I was impressed with today and I think he's gonna be able to carry it over into the next one honestly got to take Monday off. You're not going to play three games in a row now. I think that happened like five years ago, but they had to abolish that. But um, yeah, they get Monday off, but then they got to fly over to face the Sacramento Kings. Game one of three here. They haven't played them all season long, so they're going to be playing almost 50% of their remaining schedule against these guys. With the Aaron Fox wavering in and out of the injury status, you're going to see a lot of Tyrese Halliburton and a lot of close games most likely. So get ready for that. This might be a tank battle. The Sacramento Kings, in terms of lottery standings, aren't really in the hunt anymore. They are 11 and a half games back of the grand prize and six and a half games back of the Thunder. So there's no real way they're able to get back in this thing. They're going to be stuck. I think at best, they're going to be uh, with the seventh best odds. So there might still be some serious reasoning for them to go and lose games. There's only a one game separation between them and the Chicago Bulls right now. So we'll see in terms of what they do. If they're tanking, it's going to be really angering and it's going to be Dort not playing. Poku's probably out due to um, his injury. We'll have to check on that. And maybe even Baisley gets pulled out for whatever reason. Charlie Brown Jr. might get another 10-day, and we'll see him play 30 minutes. So it's going to be an all-out battle, tank battle, or just normal battle. We'll find out, but it's going to be played Tuesday. Just keep your eye on that one. As for tomorrow, I'm going to get you guys readied up for that game. And I'm also probably going to throw a little bit of tidbits in there. I'll probably talk about Sam Presti and maybe even more on Gabrielle Deck. We'll just wait and see on that one. But yeah, that is for tomorrow's episode. But in terms of this one, that is going to wrap things up. I thank you all for listening. And I will talk to you all next time. See ya.